welcome to the ninth episode of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Kim Lane. And we are once again recording from the same spot, actually, we were last week in a Shiloh Inn hotel room in lovely Grants Pass, Oregon. Oregon. Tomorrow we're taking off for... Uh, We're heading out to the coast. We'll be driving out through Brookings and Gold Beach and up probably towards Tillamook and over to Portland, Oregon by the mid to later on in that week. So next weekend we'll be recording from a new location as of yet. Undisclosed. Undisclosed. (laughs) Undisclosed location. So, uh, you know, when we prepare for this podcast, well, the previous eight times we've done it, we've sort of shared some stories that were top of mind in the tech sector, but it's doubly challenging this week. I mean, I think that you continue to be sort of out of the loop with the hiking and camping and um, that you're doing. But then also sort of as I, as I went through and suggested some things that we talk about, they were all just incredibly depressing. Yeah. Thanks, world come back out and nothing but crazy dark shit going on makes me want to run back into the woods and hide it's a it's actually a very um startling um and discomforting experience to do that i went with you was it Wednesday. wednesday when no tuesday it must have been tuesday, oh, tuesday yeah. um tuesday i went with you and and the kid we went to Crater Lake, Rogue Rogue Gorge, Gorge, National Creek Falls, and pretty much, I think there was perhaps a little bit of cell phone reception at Crater Lake. Um, Thanks, National Parks. Um, National Monument. National Monument. Um, But by and large, sort of out of cell phone signal for me. Um, Thanks, AT&T. But then sort of as we drove back into town, and my phone was able to sort of pick up messages again. So sort of you get the flurry of the flurry of notifications, and in this case, the flurry of texts. I had um, sort of a series of laments from my brother that were sort of day-long laments about the California election. He's in Maine. Um, I voted in the California election previously. You know, I mean, I vote, vote by mail, but sort of his response to what. I guess was unfolding in the rest of the world while we were looking at waterfalls and um, volcanic lakes. And it, it was really weird to come back and see, um, you know, here we'd sort of really, I think, seen some, some things that are sort of well known for their sort of pristine beauty, right? The Crater Lake is known for this. And then to come back into cell phone signal and to be reminded that you know, Donald Trump was making a speech and that Hillary Clinton was had become the presumptive Democratic nominee. And that's sort of, compared to some of the other stuff we were going to talk about today, actually... Uh, yeah. Um, you know, you asked me the other day, what when you came back into town, what did you miss? And I was like, the big, the big episode of the day was that Twitter that Hillary and Donald Trump got in a Twitter fight. And it's just like, this seems to be, 
I don't know. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, this as of this morning when I came back last night. I mean, context. You know, I was at a frog pond in subalpine meadow all day yesterday. So I come back late and wake up this morning and fifty people dead. Yeah, push notification again. This was push my notification. My Twitter stream full of this. My email inbox has already been out of control for weeks, and I'm scared to open it. But you know, honestly, like I really do not at all enjoy opening up my Twitter, opening up my email. I I only have Slack limited down to just you and me, like our channel. Um, it's loud and it hurts and it makes me want to scream and go back up to the frog ponds despite its name and its marketing is full of tadpoles but it's a beautiful beautiful pond and I want to go back up there yeah I mean I think that part of it is just this feeling the sense I mean even you know even with you know the quote-unquote democracy I mean there's such a sense that we just are so powerless with these really terrible things that are happening and it just continues to burden you know they lay this sort of psychic burden on you that you feel sort of I mean I you know I think it's why on Twitter today people seem very frustrated that the response of politicians right the kinds of the legislators who actually could perhaps do something about gun control for example or who who tend to sort of lay out the sort of narrative these sort of larger cultural narratives about hate um their response is just well let's pray um and for me it's sort of like prayer feels like prayer is a prayer is a fine response don't get me wrong but when you're in the position to actually do something other than pray it just reminds me that you know while we're feeling powerless the people in power don't even have the backbone to actually make a change yeah, I mean, it's just the links that were in the, I mean, as you said, we share links usually throughout the week, and this is what shows up. So the only links that had shown up in there was, um, I'll let you feel on the details, but, you know, clear in my mind just how power works. I mean, two links, Jacob Applebaum and, and that dickhead at Stanford, the douchebag, well, I don't even know his name, but... Um, reading about what that judge did both cases know? of sexual assault and just power and you know in these cases white power I mean and just how power flows and how power works but like power is so decisive in these situations these bad situations but when you really fucking need it to like go beyond prayers and thoughts and actually fucking do something it's like every it dissipates like everyone in power just goes silent and actually you know it's like so anyways what was what happened this week with uh well i mean you know i think that in some ways all of this connects in in ways i'm not sure i'll be able to thread thread the needle on but it feels as though all of these all of these things that we're talking about both these sort of um obvious events over the last week and then just in general, some of the stuff that you, you're doing right now with the drone recovery is that there's a, um, I don't know, but I guess a crisis in masculinity, right? That there's something, something. Um, I mean, in the feminist in me would say, sort of by, by definition and the sort of cultural, the cultural weight and um, 
privilege afforded it, but masculinity seems to be off the rails. It's not new. Um, we were, we were, here we are in Grants Pass. We went out the other day and got photographs. They have a caveman at the entrance to the city, this sculpture of a caveman. He's very, it's rather pathetic looking. He's sort of hunched, hunched over shoulders and he's sort of dragging his club. He doesn't really look yeah, he particular. Looks, he looks sort of beaten, beaten down. He doesn't particularly probably, probably look middle-aged, forties white man <laughs> with say. an opiate problem uh, or a meth problem, maybe. No, if he was a meth problem, he would at least be swinging his club. Um, anyway, there's a little description of why Grant's Pass for some time had this sort of caveman symbol. It's the the school mascot, but that there were groups of businessmen that dressed up as cavemen went into the caves, the Oregon caves, and I don't know, did wretched things. But you were telling me that when you were little in the parade, the cavemen would grab girls. Yeah, the float was a, from a the, jail. In the parade. And put the put And they these would girls. go and grab, grab women and throw them in the thing, I remember. But they threw us candy, so we looked the other way. <laughs> So to me, that that's actually sort of emblematic of this sort of this this notion that somehow masculinity affords a license to behave in these violent ways against women, and I would say add to that against women and then against. Um, lesbians, gays, transgender as well, like sort of grouped together in the sort of feminized other perhaps, um, that we see in a lot of these stories this week, right? Like we see um, in the, the, the court case in Stanford in which this um, young man was convicted of assault. He uh, was not convicted of rape, but I'll go ahead and call him a you know, a rapist um, of an unconscious woman that he violated uh, and was sentenced to six months in jail. The victim wrote an astoundingly powerful letter in response, and the young guy's father said, you know, how dare we punish, how dare we punish him for 20 minutes of action? And the judge seemed to say as well that, you know, this how dare we punish an upstanding young man who, who's at Stanford? I mean, clearly he's an academic and athletic leader. We can't possibly punish him. You know, meanwhile, here's this woman who's been victimized, um, victimized by him. And similarly, Jacob Applebaum, who um, somebody who I think has been raised to a p- position of certain amount, again, of of privilege and fame and um, support within the tech, within the infosec community. He was, a, he was um, his name has been connected with WikiLeaks for a very long time. Lately, he's worked for Tor, the anonymizing browser. But um, last week, Tor sort of announced that Jacob Apollon was no longer with the project. And then uh, two days later said, um, he was asked to leave because of a series of accusations again of rape and sexual assault and um, you know 
again, a person, a, a person who's been given a great deal of privilege, narratives around masculinity that really encourage bravado um, and uh, violation. Um, so both both those examples for me, well, I mean, they're just the for the Stanford one is just just reeks of just classic white power like how shit works courts poor white rich white sure. rich boys yeah away if with it was whatever, a, if it was a black whatever student the fuck they who'd want, raped a white a white be, woman let's be, be honest he would not the the book would have been thrown at him but the jacob applebaum thing you know which partially for me is is just old hat because i've seen quite a few other movements that are usually pretty polarized they're either political action drug anti-government things that that men are very good at stepping up and leading and then once they get in those positions of power they start behaving or their true colors come out these people were who they were before they just are are naturally attracted to these situations but this is for me represents like this dangerous new tip of the spear of this spear when it comes to the silicon valley and tech world is like you have these white guys who that's nothing new. You have people rising in positions of power and their two colors coming out. Nothing new. But they have very, they have a lot of money, a lot of influence and control, and they have a lot of uh, followers that, 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 that are willing to step up and act in their behalf. So all of that, for me, is pretty disturbing, you know, on a, on a very dis- disturbing new angle to a very old concept, I guess. Well, and, you know, for me in, you know, earlier, earlier lifetimes, being involved with activism on the left, I have seen this sort of revolutionary machismo play out again and again with young men and older men in political, in political activism. And I think that, um... The, the Jacob Applebaum story is, I mean, it makes me sad. I know um, a couple of the women who um, are accusing him of, of, um, of assault. And it just feels as though we, ha- we organize, activists in particular seem to be particularly susceptible to these kinds of, this kind of demagoguery um, that that somehow um, empowers young men, old men, to have their, to believe as though they have access to people's bodies in ways that violate those, those, the, the, the will of, of young women. I mean, I, you know, this isn't new. I mean, I think of some of the slogans that, um, you know, from the 60s, the only place for a woman in the revolution is prone. Um, I mean, the, this real misogyny that runs through, through activism, but more generally runs through, runs through our culture. I have to say that, you know, the response to the, that victim's letter that was posted on BuzzFeed, looking at it right now, uh, 16 and a half million page views on her letter. That's incredible. And I, 
I'm always, I always try to be hopeful that these things do change the conversation. I mean, I think seeing people's disgust with the length of sentence, people trying to ascertain what, what are they going to do about this judge? Are they going to recall the judge? They missed an opportunity to vote him out. I think he was running unopposed in this week's election. Um, but understanding, you know, now how, how do we, um, what do we do about rape culture when it permeates our institutions? Our institutions, you know, from the likes of Stanford, you know, you send your daughter to one of the top universities in the country um, and you don't just have to prepare her to do well in her classes, but you have to prepare her to survive in rape culture. Um, and what do we do about changing you know, the InfoSec community, again, which I think really is founded on, on a culture of violation? I mean, that's what, that's what they do. You know, black hat and white hat hackers get together in order to violate one another's computing system, which is just really, as we think of the of one's personal data as just a and one's personal technologies as an ex, as an extension of oneself. I mean, it's all intertwined with yeah with surveillance and violation. So, you know, how do we make sure that that these communities are safe? places for for women um, for the LGBT community I'm not sure that the culture can be reconciled that these that this sort of and I think you know the same with activism you know we've talked before about the sort of the Bernie bro responses and you know there's something about the internet culture in particular that really seems to you know, on one hand, we can see it at its best, reaching out, organizing in responses that are caring and supportive, um, but we can also see it at its worst. And I think it's particularly jarring for you and the kid as you spend time away. And again, working through these issues of masculinity, right? Yeah. Working through these issues of how damaged and fragile we are as human beings, um, trying to find strength, trying to become recentered, and then to come back into cell phone range and be bombarded with these messages of a culture that is violent, that is, that wants to, you know, well, sedate you with one hand and then sort of ramp you up into sort of the sort of vitriolic response. Well, I can't, I mean... Spending a, a month, almost a month in, in the wilderness with a 20, young 20-something-year-old white male and being reminded of my 20 years ago, same phase, like really in front of me, and um, he's been pretty angry and f super frustrated, and, you know, he's a gamer, and he's, you know, all these things, and, like, he's... I can't imagine that that I mean but I mean he's waking up he's he's coming to now but I can't help but think about the thousands and hundreds of thousands of other people that are in the same boat but have zero yeah. like the the pharma aspect of this latest epidemic the difference between mine mine was was street drugs mine was not a pharma thing 
this pharma thing, I think, is sneaking up on people. And I'm willing to bet there's a shitload of very angry young men who got on this track either through their mom and dad's you know, cabinet, through their doctor, through their sports injury, through their whatever, sitting at home, slurping up fucking, you know, Red Bulls and and, and, Red Bulls hot and, pocket, Oxy. and and Oxycontin and Hot Pockets and pissed the fuck off and don't know the way forward and well, sure, we zero guidance on how they should behave and how they should act. And I'm not saying that all everyone should be doing what we're doing right now. That's not at all. I'm just saying we probably should look in the mirror and do some self-examination. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot to unravel, right? There's sort of the individual self-reflection that's required um, to sort of un- undo the toxicity on an individual level. Or assaulted with But then there's sort of those larger cultural pieces that are much harder, I think, because, you know, we are... We are social cultural beings. We are products of our culture. We are products of our society, and we can we can we can try very hard to be countercultural, right? We can try very hard to resist elements of mainstream culture, mainstream corporate culture, um, you know, various political or religious mandates that we operate in. But it's still, you know, I mean, I think, you know, the the infosec piece is a good example of that so i mean i think that most people involved in infosec and certainly those involved with tor and those involved with wikileaks right the sort of sort of overlapping worlds in which jacob applebaum has been a star are all position themselves as being countercultural. they believe that they're resisting corporate culture they believe that they're resisting government surveillance they believe that they're working contrary to the corporate control of technology they believe that they're undermining sort of the the government and police um and again mainstreams um direction of technology all the while you know now we have the two best known or two i should say two of three of the best known names within this within this community julian assange and Jacob Applebaum have now been accused by over a dozen altogether women of rape and sexual assault. Women and men, I should say. Women and men of rape and sexual assault. And so, <laughs> how, how culture, that's, that's, that's not countercultural. That's pretty mainstream. That's pretty mainstream rape culture. And yet it seems to be, in this case at least, embedded in ways in in this tech community and again i can't help but can't help but point out that this rape case happened at stanford yeah it's all stanford it's easy this is this is intertwined with with um with tech tech has wanted to position itself as the outsider the underdog countercultural resistance um, and yet we see again and again I think we're reminded about the ways in which this is actually again reinscribing this revolutionary machismo where there are women's bodies um, and I've and I've seen it I won't go through all the different worlds but like you said political movements 
Yeah. You know, I've seen anti-government movements. Um, uh, you know, in my history in the '90s, I was you know in involved in a lot of scenes, and it, so it's nothing new to me to see dudes fucking rise up to power and then show their true colors. So I'm not surprised by it. Um, when you get a little bit of power, and and which white people white men young men seem to really crave and I'm putting myself in that same thing I've been there I you know I, I'm examining all of this in myself right now and um, it's a fucking dangerous combination and then when you couple it with the amount of money us software guys can make right now when you couple it with the whole startup dream you know the new version of the American dream which is a startup dream um, when you talk about the large amounts of money going into it it's inevitable it's gonna happen and and, and and we hold up this narrative that like this myth that oh we were once the drown downtrodden geeks of the eighties and now, you know, we're you know, we're proven right or I don't know what the fuck the the myth is, but it's a dangerous one because it's like, um well, maybe there a reason we, we weren't in power because we're fucking inept and we're you know, um I don't know, you know, just like it feels like like Socially, we're not quite all there, and now that we have a bunch of money and power, um, we're gonna we're gonna be badly behaved just like everybody else when they get money and power, you know. But now we're we're geeks doing it, and it gets twisted in a whole another dark dark way. I don't know, you know where that goes, but it's just uh, you know back to we gotta reexamine, we gotta look in the mirror, we gotta start examining ourselves, and I I'm not one to at all vote for Hillary Clinton and say. Hillary Clinton is 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 a super positive thing, but I feel like if we're gonna, we have to start making the shift of our society towards a more, uh, you know, away from this patriarchy that's white power. That's the best move we got right now is to like put a woman in charge and like set a certain tone, but it's still gonna take us generations and decades to even even if we stayed on the true on the right path to get there. And I have. I- I have such I have such ambivalence about that because I agree. I think it's incredibly important for for sort of the quote unquote glass ceiling to be broken. I think that it's important to to recognize that women can do anything that men can do. I think it's important to recognize, you know, similarly I felt the same way casting a vote for the first black president of the United States. So it's important to that we recognize that 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 they that um, that these positions of power that there isn't something special about whiteness and that there isn't special something special about masculinity that means only those people can become leaders. By the same token, I feel about the same as Hillary Clinton being president as yeah. I do seeing a female cop. And I'm like, you know. Yeah, I know. But we're I mean, so far, I'm, I'm, we're I mean, so, so far down. I'd like to think that having female cops on the on, in a police force changes the culture, but I'm not sure it does. I think it's got to be done in numbers. No, it, completely. I, I, if there was like 60% women cops... Yeah, I'm, probably I'm guessing very different. You would see a shift. You would probably see it. You would see a shift, a shift over something like rape culture. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, and I think that you know, I mean, I you know, having grown up with one foot in this country and another foot in the UK, 
I mean, I've, um, you know, Margaret Thatcher was a towering cultural figure <laughs> over my childhood, and I can't really say that having a woman at the head of know. head of government. But these are easy ways to, di- you know, no, that no to for weaken sure. it and and keep for us sure. moving down the direction we are rather than course cur- be course. No, direction. and I think I mean I certainly think that um, I I do think that it is um, far overdue to have a woman be president of the United States. Yeah. And, um, well, the election is like another one. But the election is something that I, dread I feel like you two should just like, about. I feel like you two, yeah. It's so hard. It is so painful to come out. I mean, I, I, I love NPR. Like, I love listening to NPR. But like, when I come out of the woods and it's the only thing I listen to nowadays, I'll turn it on and I have to hear that shit. It's like, Man, it makes me sad. And then to have to hear everything that happened last night, um, it's just like, man. But, you know, I don't know. Drones. I'm doing drones. Yeah, drones. Speaking <laughs> of speaking of really um, technologies that yeah, are ambivalent, I mean, that's like, it's such a, it's an odd it's an odd technology. Last week we talked a lot about attention and I asked you about you know what you think of the drones and attention, but how's the drone stuff? I mean, how's it's fascinating. It's it's having the effect that I I wanted to see on I think both of us because it's um, it's a very tech out in the middle of nowhere. Like you're you're you know ten miles up into the wilderness and you're sitting in a meadow and there's no one around, no electricity, no cell signal. And you're flying this thing, and you have it, you use an iPad as the controller, in conjunction with the controller, to fly this thing, and um, and it's fascinating. And and between his his skill set and mine, like he's he has a whole different way of flying it than I do, and he has a different perspective. What is the drone? What's the drone for? How you know the taking pictures? What makes a good picture? And you know this week, I think that that really came to a head because we. We had our first drone crash this week at a waterfall at National Creek, and it actually went into a tree, but it was just the mist of the waterfall created a lot of wind and a lot of moisture and uncertainty, and the drone hit the tree. There's a lot of confusion, and then it hit the tree. And then, then it hit a rock. Then it hit a rock and bounced <laughs> into the water in like eight pieces, and uh, um, unfortunately, I don't I don't have any pictures when the drone footage was gone. But, but we, we hope to be able to recover them. Yeah, yeah actually, the drone woke up. Um, I was, so with some some new motors and new mounts and whatnot, it it might fly again. But the level of attention and like flying it in those conditions, flying it down a canyon in a meadow, um, whether you're focused just solely visually on the iPad and 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 the eyes of the drone, or you're looking up in the sky and and visual, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot going on. And it and and when you do it in this non-cell non-internet out in the world environment it creates this 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 new environment that 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 i find fascinating so yeah i mean it's really it it is a a really interesting um project the the photography part of it and then this week too you're just starting to look at the other data so it's not just the the drone is this little data gathering device yeah. I mean all of our right all of our mobile technologies are we, we we forget we tend to forget that um, that all of the devices we carry are tracking this data you were saying the other day that you wished you knew how much you 
had been hiking, and I'm like, well, you know yourself. Yeah. Your iPhone knows. And, I, and you were like, oh. Oh, I'm doing 10, 15 miles a day. But you hadn't recognized that yeah. you were that you were sort of carrying a device that was acting as a pedometer. And similarly, I just hadn't thought about yeah, it. Yeah, similarly, yeah. the drone is tracking. You know, you pulled out the KML data from the drone, and you could sort of well, map. Well, I pulled out the proprietary drone data that I converted into a camera. Ah, okay. Well, of course. Of course precise. it's proprietary. It's pulled, actually encrypted, you too. You pulled out the... Oh, it's encrypted. Yeah. So I'm still learning about this data side of it, but unfortunately, I did not pull the log data of the drone that crashed. So that is what prompted me to do this. And I got it off the new, new one, and it's got a wealth of data about you know where it flew, elevation, speed, right. longitude, latitude, all this great Tempor stuff. No, not temperature. Um, I think it does have. It has like battery temperature oh. and other things like that. I have to see about outside temperature. Good question. But um, it's got a wealth of data, so I'm just still learning about that part of it. I'm going to be pulling it off regularly, along with photos and videos that we capture um, to make for a more complete picture. But um, you know, I, when I going into this, I totally put aside my my preconceptions about drones and that drones are bad drones are military drones are killing people and <laughs> a lot of things to to use it in this way so I'm I'm enjoying not thinking about the other side and applying it in this way with the kid and what we're doing with trying to you know this whole recovery part of it but this week was the first time we we touched upon um, we've had conversations about our our ethics of this and we're specifically flying in remote wilderness spaces where nobody is on purpose um, for, for exercise reasons and other things. But um, we did come across um, a gentleman with his granddaughter way up at Bowling Lake this week, and he had his hound dogs, and he was um, cruising the hills. And so we saw him in the campground, and um, there's a campground that just opened up because of the snow. And, and, you know, I said, hey, to the kid, I said, hey, you know, this is our first opportunity. There's someone here. We should engage them and say, do you mind if we fly our drone? Will it offend you? And, um, and he said, he said, no, that would be fine. Um, you know, I'm just here with my granddaughter. We're, we're checking out. And so we started flying and I saw him drive off and then he came around the loop and parked and wanted to see it in action. And it was already flying. And so we landed it and his grand, granddaughter got to see it. And then secondarily, we were on another road going to another hike way up in the woods and the forest service. Um, there's a rack, a truck had rolled over the hill, so we had to like pull over and stop. And we saw a drone opportunity, and this is what we're doing. So we flew the drone up and down this canyon. Fortunately, it was a brand new drone, first flight, and the drone footage was shit. But um, Forest Service saw these two Forest Service guys, and another conversation erupted. And they too were very excited about drones. They were one guy researched them. So the conversations are really fascinating. But I'm, I'm, I think now we're going to start seeing more. Um, coming up against society, which moves us closer into this space of drone tracking data, me being able to surveil people from the sky. Um, I can, you know, it yeah. starts going into this realm. And then at the same time, I'm coming back into the world and I'm thinking about InfoSec because of the Jacob Applebaum. And I'm like, and it's, you know, it's, I, I just don't have a lot of energy for it, I guess, right now. But um, I'm kind of excited that this technology is kind of overlapping and allowing us me to think about it deeply but more to come on that well now that the uh they're vacuuming the outside our room um maybe we should wrap it up yeah Alrighty. well that's it until next week then thank you